Welcome to part two of our continuing series entitled, How to Stay Married Forever and Like It. Now, if you were here for part one, you may recall that uh, at the beginning of that presentation, I had wanted to show uh, certain pictures from my wedding day, but because I recently moved and everything is still lost in boxes, I could not find what I wanted. What I did not think about is that there were other people at that wedding that might be listening to that sermon. And so my stepmother, uh, very faithful, she, she, she listened to that. And she said, aha, I have a solution. So here is a picture in which not only is my wife smiling, but so am I. Right? <laughs> I, I didn't want you to think it was just a great day for her. That last week, you couldn't see my face. Today, you can. It was a wonderful day, easily one of the best days of our life. Uh, so thank you very much to my stepmother for providing that. One of the reasons that it was one of the happiest days of our lives is because we followed certain simple keys in finding Mr. or Mrs. Wright. We went through four keys actually last week. Let me just put them on the screen here for you to remind you. Uh, Key number one, don't marry for love, marry for life. Take the long-range view. Look carefully at basic day-to-day compatibilities before you say, I do. Number two, take your time. Uh, Take some time to see all the good things and, yes, to see the flaws that the other person may have. Two-year rule, don't even consider getting married until you have dated for at least two years. Key number three, save physical intimacy for marriage. Don't live together, don't sleep together. It will make it more difficult, not better, for you to be able to find a happy and forever marriage. And number four, the fourth key, seek counsel from wise God-following people. It can be very helpful to get the opinion of somebody who knows God, knows his word, and has been around the track a few more times than you have. Now, with that in mind, uh, some of you came to me after last week's presentation and said, Pastor, that was great. I loved it. Thank you so much for the information. Some of you came up to me last week and said, that was depressing because we didn't do any of those things, and now what do I do? And essentially, what that second group was saying is, next week had better be good. (laughs) So, I do indeed hope that today is helpful. Uh, So I I hope that you track with me the whole time here. Before we jump into part two, two two things I'd like you to remember. Number one, what I'm going to say today applies to nearly every couple who, who will be or is currently married, but it may not apply to couples that are in abusive situations. If you're in a situation where there's verbal abuse, physical abuse, emotional, sexual abuse, etc., By the time I get to the end, those of you that have had experience with these things, you may be nodding your head saying, I'm not sure all of those are applicable in an abusive relationship. If you are listening to me right now and you are in that that kind of an abusive relationship, uh, you need to find a Christian counselor right away. You need an intervention. You may even need to call law enforcement, depending upon the severity of your particular situation. Do not necessarily take everything I'm about to say and seek to overlay it onto that relationship. Number two. If you did not follow God's plan for choosing a spouse, if you didn't follow those four keys or whatever keys there might be in God's word, all is not lost. In fact, if you have a seed of willingness, if you and your spouse have a seed of willingness to make an attempt to right the ship. You know, Jesus said this saying. He said, uh, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move what? Mountains. Well, some of you may feel like there is a mountain of difficulty in your marriage relationship, and, and you're like, oh, I, don't, I don't know how we can fix this. I don't know how we can unpack it. 
There is hope. There is good news. In fact, I would say this. If the two of you sincerely put into practice the Bible guidelines that we're going to look at today and next week, your marriage can not only pull out of the dive it might be in now, but it can even become downright enjoyable. Now, what if not both of you are willing? Come back next week. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But if both of you are, the possibility of being married happily and forever, regardless of your circumstances right now, is not necessarily out of your reach. God specializes in U-turns. So let's see what he can do. What are the keys, then, for after you say, I do? How can you have a marriage that lasts happily and forever after you say, I do, even if there have been some hiccups along the way? Last week, we looked at four keys. This week, we're going to look at three. If you have a Bible, take a look, please. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 5. Key number one. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 5. It's on page 139 in the Pew Bible. It should be somewhere there nearby, maybe right in front of you or so. Uh, Most of them are red. Page 139, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 5. Most people, when they are looking for marriage advice in the Bible, don't go to the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, There are other places that they will go. But as it turns out, there are some, some, some golden pieces of advice in Deuteronomy here. Turns out God has been in the good marriage business for a very long time. Deuteronomy chapter 24, just verse 5. It says, if a man has recently married, he must not be sent to war or have any other duty laid on him. For one year, he is to be free to stay at home and bring happiness to the wife he has married. Wow. Let me read that last sentence again. For one year, he is to be free to stay at home and bring happiness to the wife that he has married. Key number one, for after you say I do, to get on path, a track here, to have a marriage that lasts happily and forever, is to spend quality time together. Spend quality time together. Now, in the context of Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 5, I'm not sure that all of you grasp how revolutionary this particular text is. You know, today we, in the United States, we don't have compulsory military service. Some countries do. We do not. In fact, if, if there were to be a change and there was, you know, compulsory military service, you would see it coming a long way off, etc. Not so in those days. I mean, no email, no cell phones. How did they live? Uh, there was no politicians out there being able to give advanced warning. A nation could show up on a moment's notice. And your nation could be threatened with mortal danger. And so at those times, the call would go out. Every able-bodied man was called to arms. Unless you just said, I do. And then you're off the hook. You can stay home. Everybody goes out and fights and whatnot. You get to stay home. And for this year, you get to bring happiness to the wife that you have married. I mean, the point is clear. Spend quality time together. Now, If you have just recently been married, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, duh. I mean, of course this is what we do. I mean, we love to spend time together. When we were all of our dating, we could hardly stand to say goodbye. In the evening, it was joyous when we saw each other in the morning. The sun rose and set on each other's company. How could you even bother to bring this out as a key? So here's the thing. Sometimes... It is very true. We hope it's true. 
that when you get married and the, the, the flush of the excitement of it all, I mean, if it's spending time together, I mean, you don't even have to think about it. It just, it just comes. It's just part of it. But sometimes it also happens that as that initial excitement fades away and year begins to build upon year, that sometimes this time together doesn't happen like it's supposed to. In fact, sometimes, uh, shall we say, the caveman mentality comes in. I'm just going to speak for myself, because this was certainly me. Uh, when I was seriously dating my, my, uh, my not-yet-wife, Darlene, uh, this, this, this was kind of my story. I had this caveman philosophy. Uh, uh, me want wife. Me find wife. Ah, she hot. Me go after wife. Yes. She like me. We date. Two-year rule we follow. Yes. We say I do. Me got wife. Me now go play golf. Okay. And that caveman mentality can, can have some sway. I mean, it, it, it happens, and it happens perhaps more often than we would like to think. But the Bible is clear here. God's wisdom is clear. That's not how it's supposed to be. God calls us to spend quality time with our spouses. And I hope the principle is clear. Not just for 365 days. God is trying to drive home a point here. Now, again, when I was seriously dating Darlene, this idea and practice of quality time, for her, natural. I mean, just, this was, she was right there with it. No, no problem for her. For me, I needed help. I had little to no idea what God meant when he asks us to spend quality time with one spouse. For instance, one of the ways that a married couple should spend time together is by talking with each other regularly. I remember, this is before we got married, not too long before we got married. You know, I was serious about trying to, to get myself ready for, for this relationship. We had decided that we were going to read some books on marriage. One of the ones I read was called His Needs, Her Needs by Willard F. Harley. And this is back in the, in the 1990s, so the research may have changed since then. I don't know. But at that time, Harley, the author of the book, had done research on the number of words that the average male and the average female speak in a day. So you got to picture this. I'm at my apartment complex there. Uh, I had this little tiny apartment, and I'm at the laundromat. I'm sitting on top of a dryer reading this book, waiting for my clothes to dry. And I get to this section. It talks about spending quality time together. Okay, yeah, let, let, let's, let's learn about that. And then he talks about talking with your spouse. Okay, what, what, what do I do for that? And he comes to this research section. The average man, he says, speaks, and he guesses, how many words in a day? Who said Two. That was awful. See me, go to your room. This is, yes. All right. uh, it's actually more than two. Any guesses? 300. 300? Oh, my. It's actually, I was a little surprised, too, actually. I don't fault any of these answers. 12,000 words. Yeah, 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 surprising, isn't it? 12,000 words, okay? And then Harley, the author, says, now the average woman speaks... Oh, you skeptics. That's right. 25,000 words a day. Now, maybe that's all changed by now in modern times. But in those days, those were the fresh stats. And I remember very clearly, I, this was my response. Everybody, all right, the average man speaks 12,000 words. The average woman speaks 25,000. 
You know, I said something out loud about fell off of the laundry because I thought, how am I going to keep... You see, what I was picturing in my mind is this. I'm going to come home after a long day from work and my wife will only be halfway done. <laughs> She's going to want to talk the entire evening. Oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? You know, God. But I was serious about wanting to have a good marriage, right? I'd seen enough of things that didn't work and I wanted my marriage to work. So, so we... we uh, we tried to work something out. We actually had, a, we had some practice sessions, right? And, and I, I faced this with trepidation, and some, some of you husbands may know what I mean. I mean, if, if your wife says to you, honey, let's talk, what do you say? Why? What's wrong? Yeah, exactly, okay? And, and this was my thoughts, okay? So, so, so we made, you know, this, this, this practice time here, okay? And uh, I remember very clearly... Uh, we, it was at the end of the day, and I was sitting on the sofa on this end, and she was sitting on the sofa on this end like this. And so, okay, we're here. You know, it's the time. We're going we're gonna to practice this now. So I said, you start. And she says, okay. How was your day? What do you think I said? Fine. Yes. She said, now you have to do better than that. I said, well, I, like, what, what do you want to know? She said, well, who did you see? I said, well, uh, the, the church secretary was there, and the custodian was there, uh, and I had a few people that I met with. She said, what were they wearing? <laughs> wearing? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, clothes. I have no idea what they, what they were wearing, right? And she said, well, what did you talk about, right? So, so this was genuinely painful. I mean, it, it was wooden, right? It just... But I really wanted to have a good marriage. I wanted to do things. I wanted to pick up these skills that obviously I did not have. So we worked at it, and as wooden as it was, over time it became almost natural. You see, God is trying to send a message here in Deuteronomy. He's trying to say, God kept those warriors home for a year to teach them that spending quality time with their spouse was essential to a happy forever marriage. And practically speaking, one of those things that it means is, is just talking together, talking about life, making time each day. This would be my counsel to you. Whether your marriage is soaring on the wings of eagles or if, or if you're down in the pits of despair, make a decision that there will be time each day that you will sit down and that you will talk. Now, if you're not in the habit of doing this, you say, what do we talk about? Well, talk about the basic things of life. Talk about where you went, who you saw, what they talked about. Gentlemen, if you can remember what they were wearing, share that information. My wife's face lights up when I remember those things. You know, these, these mundane things. Here's, here's the secret about this type of conversation. When you have this type of regular, basic, day-to-day -day conversation with your spouse, you not only get to know them, you get to trust them. You say, well, wait a second. We, we, we got married. We said I do. I mean, don't we, don't we trust each other? Nature abhors a vacuum. If your spouse doesn't know what you do each day, how can you really say that they know you? And so now when my wife asks me, how was your day? I know how to answer I know how to go through those things. And there's a, there is a genuine part of me that enjoys doing those types of things. Husbands, wives, if you don't yet have a time like this, make it. Make a schedule. Just go ahead and be wood and say, well, Pastor Shane can muddle through that. So can I. Okay? Make that time and talk to each other. Another way to spend quality time together, consider making a date night. You can do this once a month. I, I would encourage you, if you can, to do it once a week. 
It's a time when just you and your spouse can get away. It doesn't have to be fancy. You don't even have to spend any money. You can go for a walk together. You can uh, spend time uh, uh, walking through. My wife and I, we used to go to Home Depot, and we would just window shop. Right? Well, what do you think about that, that light over there? Oh, that's pretty cool. You know, well, how about this, this shower over here? You know, think, we didn't have any money. We couldn't have bought these things, but it was just window shopping. And it helped to lead to day-to-day conversations that were excellent. If you have children, find a good babysitter. They will be enriched in their wallet, and you will be enriched in your souls. Make that time. And that way, even if you don't get a day-to-day time you, to talk about this, in, you know, say it's a really busy week, you know that date night is coming. It's a great backstop to keep the lines of communication open. Now, if you are serious about this quality talking time, you will quickly find that it is not always easy to schedule. Remember we talked about the world warring against your marriage last week? It is oh so true. So I just want to encourage you, be brutal with your schedule. Be brutal with it. Don't let anything stand in the way from this type of connection. So I want to give you a little challenge on this key. Be brave. Ask your wife. Ask your husband. Do you think we are spending enough quality time together? Do you think we are talking enough with each other? In in fact, maybe ask them to assign a number between one and five, okay, to rate the the level of your quality time together. Uh, A five means you're doing great. You're like two starlings sitting regularly on a power pole chatting away to both of your heart's content, okay? Uh, A one means that you're like two monks that have taken a vow of silence and something is probably going to have to change, right? Be honest, listen to each other's answers, and then ask God for the strength to make any necessary changes and make them. And guess what? Guess what? If you regularly spend quality time with your spouse, for most couples, at least two things will sooner or later become true for you. Number one, you will begin to experience the deep abiding companionship that comes from such regular interaction. It may take some time. Keep at it. Regular practice of sharing your lives and quality time together can work wonders for a previously distant couple. And second... If you regularly spend quality time together, then when something truly nasty comes down the pike, a problem that threatens to rock your whole marriage, well, by then your communication level will be such with each other that you are on or nearly on the same page. You're on the same wavelength. And potential disasters, many of them can be reduced to mere bumps in the marriage road. If you have walked with each other when the seas of life are calm... It makes it that much easier to tackle life when things get stormy. We'll talk more about communication problems and conflict resolution in part three. But until then, I want to encourage you strongly. Please, start this practice today. It is so important to spend quality time with your spouse. That's the first key. There is a second key to finding Happiness forever after you say, I do. Take a look at Matthew chapter 19, verse 3. It's on page 663 in your pew Bible. 663. Matthew chapter 19, beginning with verse 3. Matthew chapter 19, we find Jesus here in what sadly was was kind of a common situation for him during the later part of his ministry. Uh, Jesus had his 12 disciples. They, of course, were on his side, big supporters. But in public, often Jesus was opposed by those that did not appreciate what he was doing, including opposition from a group called the Pharisees. 
Now, the Pharisees were religious leaders. They were experts in the law, and many of them did not appreciate Jesus or his ministry, so they would try to publicly embarrass him with difficult, sometimes supposedly trick questions. And that's what's about to happen here. Verse 3 says, Some Pharisees came to him, that is to Jesus, to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now pause for just a moment. This is exactly what the Pharisees have been hoping for. Because they have what they think is a surefire question to come back at him and get him. Verse 7. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Now, let's notice carefully here. The Bible never commanded it. It allowed it. But there's quite a difference between an allowance and a command, is there not? Jesus knows this. He replies, verse 8, Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. And here comes the clincher. Verse 10, the disciples said to him, If this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. I mean, Jesus, if i got to stay with the woman, forget it. A second key to finding a marriage that lasts happily and forever is this. Put the scissors in your marriage. Put the scissors in your marriage marriage. You say, what on earth does that mean? So the disciples here cannot believe, and actually, sadly, the disciples were not alone. They were all in disbelief of what Jesus was saying here. In those days, the value of marriage had fallen way, way, way low. Uh, You see, it was was heavily skewed in favor of the husband. The husband could indeed divorce, according to local tradition there, that had been in place for some time, actually. They could divorce their wife for any and every reason. In fact, uh, some collections of these traditions actually name burning a meal. So if the wife burnt food for supper, the husband could divorce her. And she would be in a terrible way because the law did not allow any recourse for her. He could move on and do what he wished to do. Marriage was extremely undervalued. And the disciples are just, I mean, they're a product of their times in this regard. Jesus, if you have to stay with the same woman, forget it. It's better not to get married. And yet Jesus' command was crystal clear. Jesus said, therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. In other words, again, put the scissors in your marriage. Now, as it just so happens, I have a pair of scissors here with me. And uh, I also have a piece of paper with me. This is good planning on someone's part, I assume, yes? These scissors, I hope you never look at a pair of scissors in the same way again. A pair of scissors is like a husband and a wife. And if the marriage is healthy, the husband and the wife are working together in tandem, and they are enabled to cut a strong path through life. 
And if troubles come their way, if something attempts to come between them, if they are healthy and working together, then they will cut right through that problem or that obstacle and that challenge. That's what happens when in a healthy way you put the scissors in your marriage. But when scissors aren't working well... All manner of things can go wrong. Instead of the scissors being able to to cut through whatever the obstacle is, they get stuck, and something comes between husband and wife. Sometimes it happens quickly. Most of the time it happens slowly. An affair, for instance. There's drifting apart. Someone meets someone else. There's secrecy. Damage for generations is done. Workaholism comes in. Classic case, you know, husband, wife, dedicated to their career more than they are to their spouse, and the scissors aren't working like they're supposed to. Sometimes it's a hobby, sometimes other distraction. Whatever it might be, there are times when the scissors are not in place that something comes between husband and wife. And again, the damage can go on for years to come. Let it be crystal clear. Nothing but God takes precedence over your marriage. I thought maybe somebody turned off the sound and we'd kind of magically... Nothing but God takes precedence over your marriage. After God, everything else, as important as it may truly be, must fall into its proper line after the well-being of your marriage. Uh, Just to be very specific... When it comes to putting the scissors in marriage, to removing obstacles that are there, this can mean some very specific things. For instance, no porn, no pornography. You know, most people know that intuitively. If you're listening right now and you're not sure that pornography is a bad thing, let me just assure you, history is replete with a bazillion examples that show that pornography only destroys, it does not help, and it has no place, soft or hard porn, in your marriage relationship. If you are stuck in the mire of pornography and you want to get out, you know, there are, there, statistically speaking, there are some women that are involved with it. Overwhelmingly, generally, it's guys. And if you are stuck in pornography and you want to get out, I want to give you very briefly some resources. Gatewaytowholeness.com. Gatewaytowholeness.com. That's W-H-O-L-E-N-E-S-S. Gatewaytowholeness.com. What, what address did I say? That is a general conference of Seventh-day Adventist website, and I am very pleased to say it is excellent. Not only is Gateway to Wholeness, it is a course and an anonymous one. You don't have to turn in any identifying information to get into it. If you go to the resource tab on that website, on on gatewaytowholeness.com, you will find a slew of things that can help you. Books, uh, uh, other programs, uh, support groups, other ways for you to be able to get into counseling if that's what you need. It is an immense resource, Gateway to Wholeness. I am very proud to have this. And by the way, if you're not a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, don't worry about it. This is for anyone that is struggling with pornography. Just two other books that I want to give you the titles for. False Intimacy, Understanding the Struggle of Sexual Addiction. False Intimacy, Understanding the Struggle of Sexual Addiction. And the second one is called The Porn Trap. The Porn Trap, The Essential Guide to Overcoming Problems Caused by Pornography. Both of those are readily available on Amazon. You can pick these things up. Don't let pornography destroy your marriage. You don't have to be a slave any longer. Secondly, if the scissors are working in your marriage, 
then your spouse has no exclusive opposite-sex friends, period. Your spouse has no exclusive opposite-sex friends. Now, just in case that's a little fuzzy, when, when Darlene and I got married, we had to do some reshuffling of, of our friends because there were some of those friends that were just our friends. And there was, you know, for whatever reason, there was, that was not going to be also my wife's friend or, or my friend. Those friends went away. Because if there are exclusive friends that a husband has that's female or a wife has that's male, the odds of their developing an inappropriate relationship can really go up quite dramatically. In fact, I would even add this to this. Don't even spend large amounts of time with an opposite-sex acquaintance, even if they're both of your friends. You see, God wired us in a certain way. If we, if we spend significant time with someone of the opposite sex, and it's just the two of us, and it's important, whatever it is that we're doing, the natural response is for a relationship to develop. So let's just play this out. Let's say that there's a guy who has a job and there's a, you know, there's a, a big project that's come up and it requires him to do some overtime. So the boss says, well, I want you and so-and-so, and she's female, to, to spend time after work you know, doing this type of thing. You know, on the face of it, that's like, well, I mean, this is a professional world. Everything's going to go fine. Be careful. Be very careful. And do what you can to avoid those situations. You see, one of the surest ways to end up in an affair is to believe that you could never end up in an affair. Because then your guard is down and you violate the rules. Maybe you don't even, maybe you're not even aware that you are violating them. Moving on. Some of you may also need to adjust the way that your kids are prioritized. You know, there's been a handful of marriages over the years where I've seen uh, them put too much focus on their marriage to the detriment of their children. Usually it's kind of the other way around. Now, part of that's unavoidable. Those of you that have youngsters that are toddlers right now, they're moving around. Man, it is sometimes challenging to keep your marriage relationship healthy. Do the best you can with what the Lord sends your way. Okay? But if you begin to sense that you are neglecting your marriage over the long haul, that this is really making a serious dent, I would strongly encourage you to stop and look at that. Children need all that we can give them, but they also need to have a very healthy marriage between mom and dad. The stability that is there when a strong marriage is present and the instability when that relationship is rocky, save yourself the pain. Keep a tight understanding of what's healthy in this balance between children and your marriage. And of course, I couldn't leave this idea of cutting things out of your marriage that are necessary to be cut out without talking about hobbies and pastimes. You know, caveman golf, I did a fair amount of that back in the day. I, I, I didn't have much money. I was on denominational pay scale, but I had friends that smiled on me, and so they would take me out. We would go golfing quite a bit. And there were definitely times when I had to scale back because even a hobby, seemingly harmless, can come between a husband and a wife. Again, I want to gently challenge you. For those of you that are married, ask each other the questions. Are the scissors here in our relationship? Are they sharp? Is there anything or anyone right now that has stopped the blades from cutting like they're supposed to? Do it or they need to be cut? And if the answer is yes, then go to it. Cut that thing away. It may be painful for a moment because after all, sometimes it's your ego or your selfishness that gets chopped. 
But there are few better ways to show your spouse that you truly care for them than by cutting away the obstacles that threaten your intimacy. Put the scissors in your marriage. What God has joined together, let no man, no woman, no thing separate. That's the second key to having a marriage that lasts happily and forever after you say, I do. There is a third. Take a look at Philippians chapter 4, please. Philippians 4, beginning with verse 10. It's on page 792 in your pew Bible. Page 792. Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 10. A guy by the name of Paul, sometimes referred to as the Apostle Paul, he is the writer of this letter. Uh, This is a a new church in the city of Philippi, thus the name Philippians. And it is a happy book. If you're you're feeling depressed, you'll come January or February when the sun do not shine on southwest Michigan. Pull open the book of Philippians and it will put a smile on your face. It's, It's just a happy, rejoicing book. What makes that all the more incredible is that Paul himself is is under serious duress from the Roman government. The Romans did not appreciate Paul's preaching of the gospel, at least not always. And uh, right now, when this is being written, he is experiencing pretty significant hardship. And this is what he nonetheless says. Verse 10 of chapter 4. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Speaking to the Philippian church. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need. Wow. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And I'm thinking, well, what's the secret, Paul? Here it is, verse 13. I can do everything through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. Wow. You know, for some people, the smaller problems in marriage stay smaller problems. And maybe it's because of their personality or their bent or whatever. Those things are fairly easy to tackle. They might be irritating for a bit, but they're relatively easy. You know, I, I think of when uh, my wife was pregnant with my first daughter. She was on bed rest for 17 weeks. It was terrible, wasn't it? They, I don't even know if they understand what that means. That's it. Like in bed for 17 weeks, everybody go, oh. Okay, she feels better now. Yeah, she was feeling a little bit left out. 17 weeks, and unfortunately, uh, to add insult to injury, this was in our little microscopic apartment. I mean, even germs had to duck in order to get into our house. I mean, it was just small, okay? And in the living room is where we kind of set up shop for Darlene so that she could be on bed rest, but at least kind of be, you know, have some society of some sort. And so it was a hide-a-bed in a sofa, and we opened that up into the living room, and it just devoured the living room. And so... I would come in there to, you know, go from this part of the niche to the next part of the niche where the kitchen was, and I've, I've got big feet, and my big feet would, would often hit the frame of the bed of a woman who was very interested in not being jiggled at that point, okay? Now, in first service, I mentioned that I would very frequently do it, and she said, that is not true. You did it all the time, okay? <laughs> but she never told me about that. She finally decided, you know what? I've got bigger fish to fry right now than worrying about my husband's big feet getting me something more from the kitchen. So, disaster averted. I think of a friend of mine, newly married. Turns out his wife chewed popcorn very loudly. 
I didn't even know that was possible, but apparently there are some popcorns that can be heard. So they're sitting next to each other watching a movie. She's eating popcorn, crunch, 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 crunch. And he's thinking, oh, this is driving me crazy. But you know what? This is my problem. I will just move. Not quite realizing how awkward that is when you're the only two people in the room and you stand up from your new spouse and sit on the other side. Uh, Another place there. But, but he solved the problem. And disaster was, once again, it was diverted. These kinds of problems, many couples can navigate them. But the sad truth is that every one of us has a selfishly inclined heart. Every one of us has an ego that sooner or later will demand recognition. I am right, we will say. I deserve to win this argument with my spouse. They are not being fair. I must have satisfaction. And for so many couples, the disagreements, whether it's popcorn or shoes hitting bed frames, they can escalate beyond those things. And couples can find themselves wanting to scream or even to leave their marriage to get relief. And thousands have shouted, actually or internally, I can't take this. I can't do it anymore. And they are absolutely correct. They can't do it anymore. Not by themselves. The third key to a successful forever marriage relationship is to let God fuel your marriage. Let God fuel your marriage. You know, if the only fuel for your marriage is you, I'll be honest, good luck. Good luck to you. Hope that works out. I really do wish you the best, okay? Because when your ego kicks in, and it will kick in, then the fuel level in your marriage tank, if it's just you that's the fuel for it, that fuel level will drop like a rock. But when God is your fuel, Your tank never runs dry. When God is your fuel, something supernatural takes place in the human heart. It can't be measured in a lab. You can't see it with a microscope. But oh, what a difference God makes. And when we walk with God, his specialty is taking selfishness and turning it into generosity. Now, I want to be real clear about this. I am not talking about a natural event. This is divine intervention. And God specializes in these things. He knows exactly how to do it. You know, one of my mentors, uh, he passed away a number of years ago. Uh, we were together for many years, and, and he had something that he said so often that what I'm going to share with you next essentially is a quote. I don't, I, probably not exact for each time, but he said it many times. Here's what he said. Quote, marriage is like a mirror that shows your greatest triumphs and your most glaring flaws. But I am so grateful for being shown my flaws because it enables me to acknowledge them, give them to God, and become a better person. Sometimes when my marriage shows me my flaws, it takes me several hours in my woodshop before I am sufficiently grateful. But with God's help, I am always able to do it. A little secret about marriage. Some of you have thought that marriage was about you loving another person. As it turns out, marriage may actually be even more about God preparing you for his kingdom. It is a school unlike any other. 
and those who are willing to submit to, submit to its discipline, there is no limit to where God can take them. So why not let God be the fuel for your marriage? You say, how do you do that? Very simple. Things like this. Pray. Pray by yourself. Ask for God's blessing in your life. Pray together. Pray with your spouse. You know, sometimes, guys, in particular, this can be difficult for us. I just want to say, grind it out. Do it. You will be blessed if you do. Go to church together. Go to places like this where you can, you can hear what God is saying, how to have God as fuel in your marriage. Make friends with godly people that have good marriages. Surround yourself with people that will encourage you in your marriage relationship. Read a Bible-based book on marriage together. Some of the most fruitful times in Darlene's and mine's relationship has been when we have sat down to listen to what somebody else thinks about marriage and God. It's been a tremendous learning experience. Do whatever it takes to let God be the fuel for your marriage. And then, when the impossible is asked of you, and your ego rises up, and your marriage faces obstacles that you know you cannot overcome by yourself, God will be there just as he's always been. And he will get you through when you both put your trust in him and let him fuel your marriage. So you want happiness to extend beyond I do? You want to develop a marriage that makes you crave for even more years together? Then do what God in his word has called us to do. Spend regular quality time together. Put the scissors into your marriage and cut away anything or any person that would rob you of a happy marriage and let God fuel your marriage. By the grace of God, it is a great way after you say I do to create a marriage that lasts happily and forever.